0: Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Spacebar Podcast, uh, episode number six. Um, I'm Pete Robertshaw, and uh, in this week's episode, uh, we're going to be discussing something that we were probably all sick of hearing about before COVID. Um, But obviously, COVID's kind of become the number one news story the last kind of 12 months. Uh, But this week, we're going to be talking about Brexit. Um, Yes, Brexit has obviously finally happened. Uh, The deal's done between the UK and the EU. Uh, And now, I guess, we're pretty much a month in uh, as we record this. I kind of want to discuss uh, the impact kind of this having on the retailers and, and customers, because there's been a lot in the news, obviously, recently about this. And there's been sorts of ha- scare stories. So we thought we'd kind of unpick some of those and, and actually find out what's going on. Um, but to help me to navigate through this kind of minefield of a subject uh, today, I'm joined by Mark O'Donnell, who's the e-commerce manager of Barry of Ireland. Uh, De are a luxury contribute manufacturer and retailer. I'm uh, also joined by James Hayes, who's the Director of Business Development at Parcel Hub. Uh, parcel Hub are kind of a parcel aggregator to try and get like sort of customers the best rates on parcels and also kind of look after the customer service side of it as well. So if you've got any issues getting parcels out there, you can handle the uh, customer service aspect of that and any queries that come in. And I'm also joined by our very own Stephen Keneally, who is the Strategy Director at Space 48. So welcome, gents. Before we get into the podcast, I do want to start with a quick fire round of questions, which has become a bit of a tradition now on the space bar. Um, it's just so we can get to know our guests a little bit. So, every new guest that comes on, we uh, ask you a series a quick fire questions uh, just to get to know you. So, Mark, I'm going to start with you, uh, and just give me the first kind of answers that pop into your heads. Nothing too serious, don't worry. Um, morning, afternoon, or evening? Evening. Okay. If you could buy yourself anything. What would it be?
1: Ah, I always—if I won the lottery—I'd go back to college and just go and like study something interesting.
0: Wow, I was not expecting that answer. Okay, interesting. That's an intelligent answer. Uh, I thought you were going to say buy buy a lot a winning lottery ticket. Um, (laughs) But that's a better answer. Um, What would be the number one thing on your bucket list to do?
1: Uh, Travel. Like, we've, uh, I think a lot of people have it now the last year with COVID, and we're like, that list keeps getting longer of all dream destinations that we just want to go to.
0: Okay. Uh, what's your favorite film of all time?
1: Um, oh, that's hard. I watched, um, what was it last night? Um, King of Staten Island. That was good. Um, like, not favorite ever, but I watched it last night and it was good.
0: Okay, that'll do. And lastly, uh, what's your favourite flavour of ice cream? Vanilla. Okay, interesting, interesting. There's no psychology behind these questions, by the way. It's just completely random. I'm not going to try and judge you on what your favourite flavour is. Um, Thank you. That was easy, wasn't it? Um, James, next up. Um, Friday, Saturday or Sunday? Friday. Okay. If you owned a yacht, what would you call it? blue marlin nice like it uh what's the strangest thing you've ever eaten
2: Uh, a clam straight off the seawall
0: okay um what's your favorite tv show of all time
2: oh in the last week or so it has to be Shit's creek i have that was just amazing
0: very good. I recommend that. It's very funny. Yeah. Um and who is your favorite superhero?
2: Ooh, favorite superhero. Oh, ladum.
0: Superman. <laughs> Superman. <laughs> okay, that's right. <laughs> Perfectly good answer. Um, thank you. And Stephen, last um Christmas birthday or Father's Day?
3: Oh, Christmas.
0: Okay. Um, if you could go on holiday anywhere in the world, where would you go? Uh, New Orleans. Nice, nice choice. What's your biggest passion? Cricket. This might answer another question I'm going to ask you in a minute then. Uh, what's your favourite podcast to listen to other than this one?
3: Oh, um, Eamon Dunphy, uh, who was an ex-Leeds player, has a podcast in Ireland called The Stand. And it's really good. Um, he's really good. And then the other one I, I listen to quite a bit as well is Second Captains, which is a sports podcast. Unfortunately, I'm not a subscriber, so I don't get them all, but I get the Monday Monday one every week, and it does a digest of all the… the it's worth uh, fiverr a month,
1: Stephen. Come on, I, I know I should pay the five. <laughs> I almost by independent journalism.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, that's excellent.
3: There's a <laughs> fellow on there called Ken Erminy, he's just fantastic. Uh, so
0: had tipped of Ken Early he'd brilliant Thank you and the last question which I think you've kind of already answered but what's your favourite sport to watch?
3: Oh yeah Test match cricket without a doubt I'm actually watching uh, I'm actually watching the the Test at the moment which is a Amazon Prime series looking at the uh, the comeback of the Australians after the big ball tampering fiasco about kind of two and a half years ago and it's brilliant it's a behind the scenes look with uh, uh, Justin Langer, who's the manager, and uh, the newly installed captain. And it's their road back uh, from uh, that uh, that disaster to their redemption.
0: It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So here you go. So cricket fan, thank you then, Stephen. Um, right, thank you all. I some good, I uh, guess some surprising answers there as well, but hopefully the listeners hopefully feel know you guys a little bit better now. Um, so that's the fun stuff out of the way. Um, so now let's get into it. Um, Brexit. Um, what on earth have we done? Um, so the deal was done kind of last minute in December, um, just before Christmas. Uh, the transition period ended on the 31st of December. So in theory, we've got a deal. Everything's fine, right? Everything's going OK? Yeah. Um, no, seriously. So, Mark, um, I of just want to start with you first, really. I guess before we get into the impact, I guess, Brexit's had on Debrary, specifically in your customers, would you mind just giving everyone a bit of a brief background to Dubarry and kind of the operation that you guys have got?
1: Yeah, um, I do just want to talk like a little bit um, about Brexit and the impact first just to set the scene of where we're at in Dubarry is that earlier today we sent an email to all of our UK customers, anyone that bought from us since um, since Christmas uh, with an apology from our managing director and um, because of how badly our customer service has been going for the last four weeks. And a large part of that has been due to issues that we've hit with Brexit. And then uh, just the fact that we're doing double the amount of orders that we were previous year. And then all those pre-Christmas orders and there's a huge lot of returns after Christmas. And we're doing double the work with the same amount of people and some added complexity. And it has falling over a little bit, because I'm conscious that maybe somebody listening has had a bad customer experience and they think, oh, your man's actually going on now talking about how well they're dealing with Brexit. So I just want to get that in before they shut off. <laughs> so I've been running the website for DuBerry for, uh, it was two years last September. So two years, four months now. And a background few years in e-commerce and kind of would have focused towards analytics but uh really just i like the role in very because he came in to kind of lead our replatform project and set us up for success on the digital front across um like our four main markets as we look at it is the uk the U.S., then Europe as a whole operating out of Hub and Utrecht and then Ireland kind of in that order, Germany, Netherlands and Nordics and and because the very product catalog is very much um, kind of outdoor and it's for bad weather. So because of the price point and the fact that it's designed to deal with kind of harsher weathers, it tends to be... um, Northern Europe or uh, kind of anywhere that you have a high price point and bad weather, it'd be kind of where we do better.
0: Okay. So in terms of the operation, you've got, so you talk about the countries you, you, you ship into there. Yeah. Delivery. What does the actual kind of operation look like in terms of, you know, getting the goods in? Where how, What does that look like? You know where, Fulfillment-wise, where, where do you have warehouses? What's, what's the deal?
1: So our HQ, which would have been a manufacturing plant going back, a good bit back now um, but our main distribution centre is Galway in Ballinasloe and Galway in Ireland and then we have logistics centres which with each team has like a marketing team, an accounts team and then there's the back end fulfilment and customer service and obviously Ballinasloe then we have a UK facility in Chipping Norton um, just by the Cotswolds and Then we have European operation in Utrecht, and we have US Hub in Pennsylvania, and each of those operates as a separate company. And I think specifically in the UK, when we were looking at Brexit beforehand, there would have been a general, like a good bit of reading and talking done about it and thinking we actually have a separate entity in the UK. sales direct customer in the UK are from our the very UK entity and then it's like you know normal sale to the customer 20% fat and nothing else to think about and um, most of the stuff comes into balance low and gets spread out then you know and um, like normal kind of operation and that's without going into the wholesale side of things but most of that comes just comes through balance
0: low okay so that's a kind of good overview, I guess, of the operation. So in, you touched, obviously, at the start there about some issues you've had, but and you talked about there about how you thought, you know, you were covered, you, know, you, you know, you distribute it to the UK and yourself in from the UK. But before Brexit and before the deal was done and the UK was obviously transitioning out of the EU, how much, like, focus and attention would you say, did Barry sort of place on Brexit? Like, was it a thing? Was it something you knew a lot about? Were you thinking just going to be okay? Or, you know, how much attention was placed on it?
1: Looking back now, it was actually a comment that was made in the office today. Is like, you know, there was a lot of ads about like, you know, consultants or whatever to be Brexit ready. And we had done a certain amount of reading and research well before the deal was done and thought, Do you know what, we're actually pretty well set up. We have our separate entity in the UK and then we didn't really dig any deeper. And where we really let ourselves down was whatever about being set up. And knowing that that's um, that you have the separate entities and you're paying the right taxes and tariffs in each location, actually having that information on each individual package as it crosses a border that hadn't been there before, like if, uh, we really now understand what um, the seamless trading block of the EU actually meant, and where those seams are now back in place.
0: Okay. So do you feel like, given what you know now, there's probably more, maybe more prep you could have made beforehand then? Uh,
1: Definitely. Yeah, we did very little. We spoke about it and thought about it and thought we were going to be fine, and then we were not.
0: Okay. I I just want to bring James in here, actually, on this. What would you say from your experience, speaking to your UK customers, like how well prepared were they for Brexit, Um, you know, and how, actually, I guess more questions, how well could they actually be prepared for it?
2: yeah interesting what mark was just saying there um i think and if it makes you feel any better mark you and other thousands of other merchants weren't prepared either and did they thought they did enough but but the detail was the bit that that tripped a lot of people up um so although retailers prepared for, for what they thought they needed to prepare, like like the separate entity in different states that they're trading to um a lot of the people have been tripping up over things like the data with the package, um, deciding if you're going to do a DDP or a DDU trade, but actually what data do you need to send with that parcel as a DDP or an EDU? Um, Because it differs wildly what information you need to provide with each shipment. um, And having that data in your back office systems able to present that to the carrier has also been a challenge for a lot of people is getting the data that they have for the product actually attached to that shipment so you've probably seen in the news DPD loads of problems that they've been having getting stuff into europe a lot of that is because merchants haven't been given the correct information and there's just been this huge bottleneck of product that's not been able to get through customs and it just all gets turned around and sent back but because of that big wave of Data, the products with data that wasn't accurate, stuff that should have gone through hasn't either because there's just been too much mess. So even products that are sh- that should have got through haven't and have been ended up being returned. It, it, it's it's been a challenging few weeks.
0: Could we still have done more? Like what could we have done more? You said that about they've not had the information, James. Like what was the information not just not available? Like was it just confusing? What what was the deal there?
2: no it, obviously there wasn't a lot of time between the deal that was announced and understanding what the deal actually entailed before the 1st of January but um we were we were advising customers to prepare for the worst and gave people checklists and um sort of things that they need to consider and add to each shipment like your HS codes the, the country of origin making sure your weights and your values are accurate um so Yes, there probably was things that people could have prepared for a little bit more. But if, if, if like me, I was just hoping that the deal would mean that the seamless trade would continue, and we wouldn't really need to worry about it. But that, that's that was more of a a dream than a than a than a hope, as we see. <laughs> so no, I don't think it, maybe. But James, like that that was that, that die was cast,
3: you know, after the, uh, at the, the, the beginning of the transition period and the ori- original withdrawal agreement, like was it not always the case that there was going to be customs declarations, you know, from, from the end of January and, and it was beholden on merchants to prepare for those customs declarations, regardless of like you guys were, you know, the UK was effectively leaving the. The uh, customs union and the single market, and therefore there were always going to be there were always going to be paper, there was always going to be paperwork needed. Um, would I be wrong on that, or or is that is that you know?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And our checklist, our checklist didn't change from when we produced it in 2018. Uh, we we it was the same information and same advice we were given since 2018. It didn't change because we were we were we were advising people. Prepare for the worst. Prepare for no deal, and we kind of got no deal, even though we got a deal.
0: Stephen, obviously, like Mark, you're based over in Ireland, and I'd say out of everyone I know, you actually put more about Brexit than anybody. I guess you might say more than from a political standpoint. Um, but what's your feeling on how well the UK and the EU itself are prepared for this? Like, what's your kind of feeling on this from what you've sort of seen on the news and what you've been reading?
3: Yeah, like for me, um, like like you'll know this, Pete, that I, I I am much more interested in the politics side of it and I'm only starting to like I, I understood some of the implications of of the the kind of the direction of travel for the British government and what what they wanted to affect as as part of a of a deal with the EU um to create an opportunity for them to no longer be kind of uh, beholden to the red tape of the eu like it, brexit means brexit and that means we want to be able to to um sign our own trade deals um and so that that to me always signaled a departure away from the single market and the customs union and and the end of kind of seamless trade um and that was that was ultimately going to be you know i be- i believe kind of bad for both sides in terms of um, and while it's tariff free, which is which is great, um, um, it's caused it's caused issues. Um, in Ireland, uh, it's because issues. I think because of the Irish border, um, in trade between um, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, where there is now a border, but, uh, you know, in the Irish Sea, effective border in the Irish Sea, which has meant, you know, like recently, I noticed that made.com, you know, no longer. Um, delivers to um the Republic of Ireland, but they also don't deliver to Northern Ireland because of because of the issues um at the at the border there, uh, which is kind of which is kind of incredible really when you think about it but, but that is that is kind of the nature of of what's happened in terms of how it's played out over here, like you know Irish consumers have been you know quite badly affected by brexit and um, we do a lot of our online shopping uh, with UK retailers to actually trade under, in a lot of cases, trade under a .ie domain name. You know, like Screwfix would have .ie, Screwfix.ie. And so Irish consumers would assume they're they're potentially buying products from, you know, an Irish distribution center, when in fact that, that product is being delivered from the UK. Um, and, you know, th- all those products have effectively been embroiled in, in delays, you know, brokerage charges, extra VAT charges, customs duties, and the delays have obviously been caused by the um, by the kind of customs declarations, which kind of retailers and in a lot of cases border border patrol are not even prepared for. Um, as James mentioned, you know DPD have really struggled in particular in that last mile and and kind of dealing with with consumers right at the door. Um, there's a really interesting um, which is which is freely available. There's a really interesting article up on the Irish Times at the moment written by Connor Pope um who is a kind of consumer affairs journalist in Ireland and he's just he'd put a shout out to Irish consumers to um to give their stories into him and he'd do a write up on as part of his price watch column and it just details the kind of the you know some of the the, the issues that Mark is talking about, some of the issues that James is talking about, but very much from a consumer perspective, you know, um uh, White Company, Curry's PC World, local local retailers, even Arnett's here in Ireland is a local retailer, and they've had problems bringing stock where they would be drop shipping from the UK um, into Ireland, and Irish consumers would assume they're buying from an Irish retailer in that instance. So, um, yeah, Irish Irish e-commerce retailers have been affected badly, selling in internationally or locally. You know, supply chains have been really badly affected. Um you know there's there's businesses in Ireland that have um you know who are buying from brands and selling locally here or internationally and in a lot of cases those brands would would club Ireland and the UK together uh, and have their central dc in the UK maybe historically 5 10 years ago they would have treated the two markets separately but it probably made more sense maybe 10 years ago pre-Brexit to have a single dc now retailers in Ireland can't actually get stock from the UK um, or having trouble getting stock from the UK because the UK DC and the brand, the, the brands running out of, running their products out of the UK DC are not marking up, they're not marking up those customs declarations correctly. And it's becoming a real headache in terms of costs to, to sell product in. Um, well, the list goes on, like distance selling thresholds are gone. Um, small retailers, uh, small e-commerce folks Trading on um, on Amazon now, register locally in each EU market if they're, you know, on uh, below the threshold, if they're trading below the threshold, whereas there was no threshold before. And um, yeah, it affects marketplace sellers. You know, the, the, the just, just a lot of just an incredible amount of knock on effects to um, and it's particularly particularly bad for e-com, which is just made up for for international trade.
0: Yeah, you've I guess you've summarized a lot of the the pain points you've seen. I guess you, we we look at it obviously in the UK, where obviously where me and James are based, in terms of like you know the the impact we're seeing from our customers that we talk to. But it's interesting hearing it from the other side in terms of you know, you've got you're getting struggling to get stuff into Ireland from the UK, which is is, is quite interesting. Um, how much? This is a question to all of you really. How much do you think like COVID's or the impact of COVID disrupted this Brexit process and maybe people taking take people away away from it? Like. I guess there's been a lot of things going on in the world, so Brexit's not been number one in everyone's everyone's mind. Were there just more important things to worry about, I think, for people in terms of this kind of lack of preparation?
1: I guess, like, like just taking the very example, obviously, with COVID, um, like the stores and our uh, retail partners and the event circuit where we would have done um, much more of our business than truly come like they've been on a cycle of closing and opening to varying degrees for the last year, um, because of COVID, and that would have taken a lot of headspace. Um, so definitely, it would have taken because it's taken so much attention that if it wasn't happening, you would have had
0: more focus on Brexit. I would have imagined so. James, you gonna. Have some input on this?
2: Yeah, it's same same as what Mark was saying. It uh, you know, talking to merchants that it was definitely a huge distraction. You know, COVID caused e-commerce to accelerate by ten years and huge volumes, huge adaption, uh, that People need to adapt to the new safety measures within warehouses. It was it was painful for a lot of people. So yeah, Brexit just sort of took a back seat until about a week before Brexit. <laughs> and there was a frantic. It was. It was about the fifteenth of December. I remember the messages started to sort of come in thick and fast. People asking questions about. I've not done anything. What do I need to do? Uh, so yeah, it was definitely a distraction.
3: Yeah, no, I was just going to say I'd agree with. I would agree with what the what the what the guy said there. And um, I think I think from consumer perspective as well. I think just looking at the news, and um, you know, it was it was only around about early to mid December. That COVID came off the headlines and Brexit kind of came back as the first item on the news, so it became something that was back in the consciousness of the consumer. Never, mind, and and I think ultimately that meant that it became part of the consciousness of, of businesses and retailers as well. It came back in focus again. It was part of all news bulletins, but it was like the third or fourth item, and then it suddenly became the first item again. And it, that's when it bubbled back up again, and businesses started to take notice. And um, I think that I think there is just so many businesses challenged by the circumstances that COVID has created in terms of just day-to-day trading.
0: Yeah, I know in the UK, it was like, everyone was like, I'm at the top of the podcast, everyone's fed up with hearing about Brexit. It was like literally always in one story in the news, it was like, what's going on this week? And it was just everyone's getting fed up with it. COVID was some kind of a welcome relief. And then it's like, actually... Brexit kind of got pushed to one side. You mentioned it was like the yeah, you know, top third or fourth story in the news, you're right. Um, but it seems it's like in terms of actual proactiveness in the UK, so the government actually moving ahead with this the deal and trying to get things done. Obviously, Boris had all the things on his agenda, which is fair, obviously trying to tackle COVID. So I do think that the, even the government over here and probably the EU, you know, slightly got delayed with this themselves. So I think uh, everyone's, I guess, come unprepared for it. But I would expect, James, like a company like yourselves, you know, in the business of getting parcels out to the door, like you mentioned before, I think you said about twenty seventeen. You started preparing for this. Like, is that how far back it goes? Like, what what sort of things were
2: you looking at back then? Um, the same thing. We looked at the whole process. Really, it's what, what's what what's the No Deal look like? What do we need to do to prepare for, prepare for No Deal? Um, and we we had to rewrite our integrations with all of the different order management systems and platforms and rewrite all the integrations with all the different delivery providers that we've got to, so a lot of them were built without any um, consideration for customs because they were predominantly <laughs> domestic, European only um, platforms. So we never needed, never worried about that type of information. So all of a sudden you've got to knit in where do you put the commodity code and the country of origin. So we had to rebuild a lot of tech. Um, and that, so we started, we had to start really early to get ahead of that. Um, but, yeah, we, we we sent out regular communications to our merchants with our sort of findings and pointing people in the right direction. As I would say this, this checklist that we created of the things that you really, really need to get in shape prior to the 1st of January. Well, it was originally 2018, wasn't it? Oh, sorry, 2019. Um, and we were ready for that then. But then obviously it got kicked back a bit. So it gave us some breathing space. And I think we all put the tools down for a little while because it was, it was labor intensive getting ready for that March 2019. Um, but one thing we did do this time around, so sort of towards the back end of 2020, was um, we set up two, two environments on our, in our shipping system. And we had all, all the international shipments that we were handling existing in the, in the EU environment like it was. And then we also set up a no-deal Brexit environment and ran the same products and same shipments through. And it it sort of isolated and identified shipments that would have got stopped at customs because there was data missing, information that wasn't quite right. So we were able then to go to our customers and say, look, we've analyzed your data. You've actually not got this information. You've not got the commodity code. You've not told us the country of origin. Your values are way off. Or, you know, you're declaring the value with VAT included in it, but you're trading on a terms that shouldn't you shouldn't be doing that on. So we we, we tried to get ahead of it by doing a, a test, basically, of what will the world look like if people, if it was to Twitch now. That that really helped. Um, it was very painful because it, it, it identified a lot of merchants that hadn't done a lot of work. So then there was a bit of a flurry of activity to try and fix it towards the back end of December. Um, so, yeah.
0: It sounds like it sounds like there's been a bit of a hidden cost there like I guess we don't really think about that. you mentioned about the investment you guys are about to make in systems and changes and that kind of thing. Yeah. I guess that was potentially true of retailers as well.
2: Yeah, I imagine so I mean from our time time alone you know everybody in the business was spending a day or two a week on brexit related detail you know full day sessions trying to understand what we need to what we need to do and what we need to tell our customers. So the whole business was involved, and in it. it ate up a lot of time. And obviously, that's a lot it's a lot of money and investment. Uh, but yeah, we did great. And I've got to give a mention to our um, customer experience director at Parcel, Hub, Kate Webb. She's been just exceptional, and has flagged for us and tried to sort of get us through uh, the transition and the January first deadline.
0: Sounds like it's good that you've had somebody in the organization that kind of it understands it and is a champion of it, I guess. I guess more business, than what he could have done with somebody like that in, internally. Yeah. Um, Mark, I just want to come to you, if that's all right. I think, obviously, we're now almost a month in. Can you kind of tell us about the experience of Brexit's been like for Biddy internally and your customers? Like, you know, what's the impact you've seen? We've kind of touched on some of these things and go yeah. but. Do you want to give us a summary of that? I mean, James has touched on some of the cost that they've encountered. Like, what, there's also might be none of that for you, but generally what's been the experience of like the Rari since, you know, for the last sort of 30 days?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, we've had, I guess, a few phases through the last 30 days. I guess the key thing to know is that our, like, our main DuBerry entity is DuBerry of Ireland, and then we sell to customers in the UK from DuBerry UK, which is like a separate company. Um, but it was about 10 or 15% of our UK orders were fulfilled as a kind of a dropship service from the warehouse in Galway. And that's where the bulk of our issues have come from. Because first off, um, we have, because of the sale, Boxing Day, we started off with sale and it tends to be the sale stock that's actually in the Irish warehouse so that we can sell it. In Ireland, in the UK, or in the European market. And we'd like drop ship to Europe or drop ship to UK and make, you know, having that last size 42 jacket or whatever, and you're more likely to sell it. And so that was a reason for doing that. So we had more than 10 or 15% of the orders for a sale period were coming from Ireland on that kind of a drop ship service. And initially, the first weekend, in, DPD got all the parcels three days later all came back all got bounced back to the back door to us and then panic started of like we're actually what are we going to do with these now what do we need to put on them to actually get DPD to accept them and get them across the border and we're like ended up facing our own naivety and thinking that well that's a transaction between the uk company and the customer the 20 percent VAT is on it and elsewhere there's a transaction between dubarry of ireland and dubarry uk where there's actually we didn't know at the time but for any goods that are produced outside of europe there is a tariff charge and you would pay a tariff when you import it into europe when it comes from factory and then if you're actually selling it into the UK, you pay a tariff on it again. Now that's something that obviously long-term you you look to avoid and, You know when you're buying stuff, you'll try and divvy it up rather than bringing it all to central warehouse and then spreading it out within the company. But more of the issue from the customer point of view is just all these parcels should have been delivered. They're back with us. We're trying to scramble now and figure out what do we actually need to push on these parcels to get them into the uk and we ended up putting the incorrect information on them at this stage where we ended up putting um information that actually marked those as a sale directly from ireland to that customer so those parcels are sent out we're at a few hundred parcels at this stage and um I think of something like seven or eight hundred for a finish, and then every one of those customers, when the parcel was resent with the right information, every one of those customers got a text or a phone call from um, HMRC or whatever HRMC uh, Customs, basically uh, for Majesty's Customs, saying you are importing this from the very of Ireland and you owe us whatever it was 50 pounds 60 wow. pounds 80 pounds and then the panic increased and we're like do you know what are, 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 should, should i should can i curse on
0: this
1: um but then things are getting pretty bad and at the same time as this you like it's the Boxing Day sales. So, you know, the fulfillment team is busy. Then I've mentioned earlier that January is always really busy with returns because December is just so, you know, peak is peak. And then you have the returns on Christmas gifts, it tends to be more exchanges and more wrong sizes. So all that's happening at the same time. And then we have this firestorm. Um, and, like, we've tried at every point to do, What's right for the customer. So we weren't long, um, you know, managing director and marketing director and ops director, and like decision was made pretty quickly. Obviously, we we're going to have to eat the cost on these charges. or like, contact all the customers and say to them, look, if you've already paid, we'll refund you. And then you're like figuring out, can we refund it against their original card transaction or do we have to ask for bank details? If you haven't paid the charge, send us the details, send us the link, we'll pay it for you. And just trying to get them all paid and actually trying to get the the goods paid so that DPD would release them to the customers. And um, even at one stage, there was concern, it's like, Joe, you know, if you refund that amount onto the initial transaction and then the customer wants to actually send it back and get the full refund and, like, your payment provider is going to block you at the amount of the original sale. But that was, like, a small size subset of them. Um, so we're dealing with those calls and trying to figure out what do we do now with the next set of shit Because you know when that happened, we obviously stopped sending stuff with the same incorrect paperwork, and then um, we're like, "Look, let's actually go back to a place of where we would have before that we would have just create uh, treated our um, UK warehouse as the we'd never up until about a year ago we never would have actually shipped direct to a UK customer from the Irish warehouse." it would have been shipped to the UK warehouse, would have been unboxed, repackaged and relabeled and then shipped to the customer. So we were like logging into the system as if we we're in the UK warehouse, creating a label for DPD in Everton and actually getting all of those parcels together and getting them onto pallets and putting them in with a freight forwarder and then having the overall pallet with the paperwork for the transaction between... Uh, Dubarry of Ireland and Dubarry UK and sending that to Chip Norton so the guys can unwrap it and like actually scan those onto DPD. And even for the customer, like what we didn't think of when we we're doing that, as soon as we create like the DPD label before it gets onto that palette, it's then marked as shipped for the customer and they get a tracking number. But they're checking that tracking number for like however many days. And it's just saying not received by DPD yet. Um, so they're like, is that sitting in some corner of the warehouse or what's going on? So you're getting calls about that. And the everything has been a lot slower. Like that kind of freight forwarder, like a couple of months ago, would have been like probably a two-day service at most, like between, you know, because it doesn't have to travel that far, but stuff is just slower going through customs and crossing Um, border. So it's taken like seven or eight days for that to actually get to our facility, in B&B, and what we are getting to, which is, like, ultimately, that's only a temporary solution. Like, ultimately, we are going to be able to go back to ship and direct customer as we have been. It's just a question of getting the correct details for that kind of drop ship transaction onto the individual packages and we're working on that now and hopefully in another week or two we'll be going into that space now we've had yeah it's funny about dpd they've gotten mentioned loads i was delighted with them before christmas they were actually really good when a lot of um uh, logistics partners were struggling to deal with just the volumes because I think everyone I, in ecom had a bumper at Christmas, mm-hmm. but DPD like they were turning stuff around on time and it was it was good luck. but we had some issues that. Rightly or wrongly, we would have expected them to be able to give us more clear and concise instruction. And maybe there was somebody there that could have, but every one of their customers was ringing and asking the same question. They weren't able to answer it first. They weren't able to guide us through it. And then there were some cases where it wasn't us that put in the wrong paperwork. There's also some cases where probably because of the backlog whatever, they've just um, made incorrect um, requests for a, a tariff when it shouldn't have been asked for but um, yeah so that's kind of the the fun that we've been on for the last three weeks that's the journey we've been on and like it's a really good example of like you can't actually do something until you've tested it and like I was listening to James outline and um, the preparation that they've done and the really good to due diligence and using the staging environment the way it's meant to be used and actually running transactions through it to see what breaks. Um, and we've just been uh, kind of finding out the hard way. Um, and it's it is really frustrating because in some ways I still believe that we're relatively well set up to actually trade in that environment. It's just a question of how do we get that information onto each individual parcel so that it's not getting stopped at the border.
0: Wow, what a journey you've been on the last few, the last sort of thirty days. Then that's incredible. And it, James, would you say that's reflective? I know, I know, it's just like different because Mark's sort of shipping into the UK. But are you, would you say Mark's experience has been pretty similar to what other the retailers are seeing?
2: Yeah, massively. Yeah, it's, it's a very similar story from the UK trying to get product out. So it, it, I could just repeat what Mark said. It's the exact same pain. Um, it, things like with the latest one we've come across is um, importer of record and not, not not getting that right. And that changes based on the terms of trade as well, whether you're a DDP or a DDU. And there's another one as well, which complicates it even more. And each of them, you've got a different importer of record. So it's either the recipient, the shipper, or the carrier so if you get that wrong again that parcel is coming back to you it's going to get refused or they're going to get charged duty when they've already paid the duty it's so important to get the terms of the trade right the data accurate and the right data for the right type of trade Mm -hmm. Uh, it's um you've just got to read read what the rules are and understand them and interpret what's being said (laughs) And ask lots of people. You ask them what you ask one put you ask three people the same question. Guarantee you you're going to get three different answers on Brexit because everybody's interpreting the rules slightly differently.
0: Yeah, as again, is that maybe lack like of clarity or just lack of understanding? I guess it's the again, I guess the last minute so we got through.
2: It's so new for everybody. Tax yeah. advisors are giving the wrong advice. We've seen because you know, it's so new to people.
0: Hmm. Mark, you mentioned there about um, you know your customers about to pay you know duty on the import if that's paid sort of or import sales tax whatever it may be and you've obviously been generous to refund that one thing i saw on the news this week um was that mastercard or from, from october mastercard are going to be raising the uh, fees that eu merchants have to pay uh, when someone in the uk buys something from them so they're going to up i think it's five times what they are now could you see Dubai buy potentially having to sort of pass those costs onto to pass those costs onto customers? Or I guess is that a wrong term decision you're gonna have to make? Because it sounds like here that you kinda UK customers are gonna get hit potentially with a double whammy, not only the kind of import fees they're gonna be paying, but you know, if you're getting fees from cards companies like MasterCard, I guess is that gonna end up back at the customer again, do you think?
1: The MasterCard one is interesting because of how we operate with the payment provider. Like, it's one that we're not used to passing on to a customer. And I guess, like, 5x, you're bringing it from what? Like, because the debit and credit cards be quite low anyway. But then five times that, and you're up near a PayPal kind of a rate. And you would need to consider it. I think the only place that we've talked about whether you'd need to pass on charges or not is in the actual price and product. But... Like that's on a kind of a product by product basis that you have some stuff that's sourced from the Far East. And if that's coming in and you're ending up paying like, you know, 10 pounds or 12 pounds per product on it, then you kind of have to pass that along. Um, in terms of the MasterCard though, I'm not as familiar with that.
0: Yeah, it's already been announced this week. Um, they've basically said that because before there was there was a cap within the being in the EU, there's now caps that have now been removed, so they can pretty much charge whatever interchange fees they want. So it's been increased from like 0.3% to like 1.5% um, on every transaction. Wow. That's again, if, if somebody in the UK buying from someone in, in Europe also using a MasterCard, I'm sure Visa will follow at some point. Um, but yeah, it's something to, uh, again, it's, it just happened in literally the last couple of days they announced it and um, I wouldn't are, say they're going to
1: be- sorry. That's regardless of where you're based as a merchant. Like that's just for UK customers. to have a higher interchange rate. Or-
0: yeah. If you're if you're if you're a retailer in the EU and your customers in the UK, then yeah.
3: Yeah, I saw the same. Yeah, I saw the same. I was surprised by it. Um, seems like it's a bit of a move by, by Mastercard. Uh, turns out some of those regulations by the EU are quite a good idea. Um, you know, because of the shackles on that behavior,
0: who knew? Yeah, I guess we're, we're going to see basically more of this again. What, what else is going to get uncovered where, where you know, where uh, companies like that can sort of not, I wouldn't say profiteer, but I mean, take advantage of the fact that you know, there's something in their favor now. Like they say, so the, the gloves are off, they can pretty much do what they want now. Um, who knew that the EU would actually had some kind of value? Um, but I'm sure more is going to get uncovered. Um, just, um, James, I want to come back to you just briefly. I mean pre-Christmas, we were seeing freight stuck in Kent on its way to Dover. What was going through your mind when you saw that? Like, what, 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 what were you thinking?
2: Uh, honestly, I was thinking well, that was obviously going to happen. Um, yeah, knowing the new rules that we needed to sort of deal with from the 1st of January and people starting to act in, in the sort of post, uh, post-Brexit environment beforehand, It was inevitable that there were going to be delays, huge delays. Um, And a lot of that was lots of people stockpiling in the UK because they were so terrified of not being able to access products. The the amount of stockpiling that was going on for food and goods into the UK was phenomenal. So all that got backlogged. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I knew it was going to happen, to be honest, because so much of a change, a marriage of 35 years isn't going to end overnight. It was going to be painful for a while. Um and, and until everybody sussed it out. Not not just the shippers, not just the merchants, it's the carriers, like DPD get a bit of a kick in here, but there's been a Force have had some challenges. DHL turned off their service to Germany recently because they've been having some challenges. The, the, the carriers are feeling the pain. Even the customs offices have got software issues and not they're not taking information correctly from the carriers. So the customs are making mistakes as well. So everybody in the supply chain is is making mistakes and that's just causing all this pain that we're all feeling.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean, so what's, what's your advice to customers then, James, like going forward? What, what, what can you, how can you help your customers? You've also tried to give them advice pre, pre pre-Brexit, but what's your advice to them now?
2: Um, It's Mark said it a few times. It's, it's the important thing is getting the right data on every package and, and, understanding what terms you're trading on um, and declaring the, the, the correct commodity codes, the values, the point of origins. If you've got a product that's got, you know, it's a microphone, but it's also got a microphone made in the UK, but it's got some Chinese parts in it, maybe some Tur- Turkish parts in it. That complicates things. So understand that and then make sure that you're declaring the products either as the UK or China, depending on what the rules are with that with that product. So it's all about research. You've got to prepare for um, expecting things to be refused. So you've just got to make sure that your passport's clean. Yeah, Um, yeah, the advice, I I think even today, we've been wrestling with um, this um, importer record, which has caused us us alarm, which we didn't see coming, to be honest. This is something that we've just discovered in the last week or so. Um, and it is because of the type of trade, you know, DDU versus DDP. You have to you have to have a totally different import record depending on which trade you're working on. Um, so the advice is: read documents, read the read the guides that we're sending out to you. Speak to your tax advisors about what your fiscal representation needs to be and how how are you declaring the goods? Are you declaring the value with the VAT included or not? not included again depends on the type of trade that you're doing um but we're we're trying to help merchants with um like dpd returned all the parcels mark you had that all the stuff came back we've had that in palletable trailers worth of goods have come back to us that we didn't expect to come back but we've got multiple routes into europe so if you if you're a merchant you've only got one carrier and they bring the goods back you've only got that carrier to go back out on um, if they've now got bottleneck like DPD have, if you haven't got another route to ship, then you're stuck. So trying to have multiple routes into into Europe is, is really important at the moment because one of them, in a few weeks, it'll be Royal Mail will fall over or Hermes will fall over. It'll just keep happening this. So if you've got more options at your disposal, then you're better prepared for when these issues happen again because they will.
0: So, if anyone listening to this has got any kind of questions around this, James, do you think you could uh, give us some advice? Like, could they reach out to you?
2: Gladly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, what's the word that we're using? Recommend, it's not recommendations. We've got to be legally careful. We don't give tax advice, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Um, Stephen, just I guess come to you. Um, I guess there's still quite a lot of unanswered questions for me around Brexit. Obviously, the deal's been done. But what would you say, like, you know, retailers and customers need more clarity on, you know, going forward?
3: It's a really good question. Well, like it's hard to say um what we need more clarity on when James has just said that he's just found out something in the last week and he's living in that world on a day-to-day basis. Um like honestly, you know, I'm not I'm not really kind of qualified to to almost read that deal and understand, you know, what are the 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 we kind of we're we're kind of starting to see the implications of cross-border trade, and um, e-commerce cross-border trade through the through the really detailed outline that Mark provided there, and the challenges that he's had to face that his businesses had to face into over the last three or four weeks. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm not saying that they. It seems to me they're surmountable in a lot of cases. From what I, from what I've listened to, when when Marcus described that, he I feel yeah, Marcus, I like he's set up to to solve a lot of the challenges. Um. So, I think it's. I think to me, it's. It seems like, as James has described, um, you know, it's getting the documentation right, and um, it's getting those declarations right. It's probably at some point for retailers to start looking at their supply chain and understanding, you know, the parts that are included in those products. And do they do they refine their supply chain to make, you know, those declarations easier, less cumbersome, less costly? Like I do see a, a real change, a shift in supply chain and um, you know um, over the next kind of 12 to 24 months i know supply chain changes have been happening in advance of brexit There's a lot of talk about that over in ireland um, around how you know manufacturers are looking at supply chain for products manufactured in the eu and and, and obviously for the uk as well um where they're pulling products in from from overseas into to to you know products that are ultimately manufactured in the UK, those parts and the source of those parts, and the journey those parts take to get to the UK, and how those supply changes are going to be chains chains are going to be modified. Um, I think for consumers, there's just a massive amount of uncertainty. Um, like the, like if you listen to the press in Ireland and there's consumer folks talking on the radio about, you know, probably not worth your while over the next while until supply chain is sorted out. To buy from Amazon.co.uk, you know that's been that's that's been on the news over here, and the advice has been to look to go onto Amazon.de and and use Google Translate and and order from there, and um, you know so you know that's 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 not great that's not great from a messaging point of view, um, but it's the reality in terms of of the challenges that consumers have faced buying product from from UK based uh, sellers on Amazon. And then ultimately, UK-based retailers, which we're we're all here to support. Um, so, like, yeah, I think it's it's just I'm just hoping that um, the you know kind of the 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 process of the next that the understanding levels from from retailers and e-commerce merchants grows their understanding of the deal, the implications of that deal, and that they're start they they're able to. Um, to build out processes and procedures internally within systems to make the process that much easier for them to reduce the overheads, which are obviously ultimately again going to impact on
2: consumers. And um, that's kind of how I see it. I agree with that. There's also just add to that. You know, I'm a bit of a glass half full guy. I think there's opportunities for merchants here. And the quick the, the, those that figure it out the soonest are going to capitalise on the on the revenue. You know, there's the people still want to spend money. So those merchants that get this right the quickest, we've only, we only got matter of weeks and months before everybody's caught up. So the quicker the quicker the merchants get this right, you might be able to take a bigger piece of that market that you previously didn't have. So um, focus on it is is that you really need to focus on Brexit if you want to continue to do cross border trade.
3: It sounds to me like um, you know, uh, given the experience that Mark has had that kind of engaging with a trade consultant for those businesses that are really struggling would probably make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And um, I know there's been support actually given by Enterprise Ireland that really had spoken to somebody who's helped us get through this the last couple of weeks as we've been figuring it out step by step. Um, Now, the other thing I wanted to say is actually just that, you know it's one thing me being on here talking about and i feel sorry for customer service team are really in the are doing everything they can to like answer the phone and trying to keep communicating with customers and um trying to like nobody really wants to know all of the detail on this but just trying to reassure them that you know we haven't lost their parcel in the ether and um you're even seeing stuff like chargebacks come because stuff hasn't been delivered. And, and like if I ordered it 30 days ago and it hadn't arrived, I'd probably do the same thing. Do you know, now that's an extreme example. But it's just, yeah. And then there's the opportunity that, especially in Ireland, where there's a lot of UK-based merchants that are looking the other way. But for us, we're looking into the UK and the comparative size of the markets, there's no choice. It's our biggest market. And um, we're going to have to figure it out, figure out how to sell there. But there's a lot of people looking into Ireland that would have treated UK and Ireland as kind of from one space. And they're like, well, oh, it's relatively small, like such a comparatively small population to probably just switch off their fulfillment to Ireland as the intermediate step or the short term step. And that just makes more opportunity for the people that are there selling, whether they're local merchants or the merchants who figure out how to operate cross border. But then, whatever about facing into Ireland, facing into Europe, where you have that huge market, you can't afford to cut it off and not figure out how to make it work.
0: So, I guess for you, Mark, I guess the next sort of few months is, I guess, is Debari being a bit more agile in terms of its approach and just taking each day as it comes and just figuring out the solutions as you go?
1: We have a lot like we've learned so much the last couple of months with the issues that we've had like we kind of got through peak by the skin of our teeth and the volume of orders that we got out and it's only when we got to january when everyone was ready to breathe a sigh of relief that things have really um had an issue but we know where we need to focus now for 2021 and it's around our um our direct customer fulfillment which wouldn't have been as big a portion of the business before and um just focusing on that direct customer fulfillment and customer service and how we can actually, um, match with what Everton, there's no point in selling the brand on Instagram and everywhere else. if We can't actually match that in the customer's experience after they've purchased.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like there's going to be a lot of uh, businesses rethinking their strategies this year. And um, I guess, again, trying to move move on the hop a little bit, but I think the uh, the playbook's out the window this year. And it's just, uh, it's going to be a case of see where we can get on. But again, like James said, again, opportunity, the ones that move on this fast are going to be the ones that, that profit here in the end. So... I think that's a good place to wrap it up, guys. Um, I really want to thank you for coming on today. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Um it's obviously discussing what's a hugely important topic of retailers and consumers at the moment. You know, with no way are we done with this. I can see us this this kind of a topic going on for the next sort of twelve months ultimately. So we may get you back on and see where you are twelve months down the line. Um but I do really thank you for coming on and sharing your insights today, guys. It's been really, really useful. And I think the, the listeners out there will have found some uh, some great, great, great feedback from this and some good takeaways. So thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks. Um, thank you everyone for listening. If you do like what you hear, please help and support us by leaving us a review for the podcast and um, share it with everyone you know, really. To get, we've got plenty more to offer. Um, but that's it for now. Um, stay safe, take care, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to Spacebar, a podcast brought to you by Space48, where a UK leading CX and e commerce platform specialist. If e commerce content's your thing, then please be sure to subscribe to hear more. Do you like what you've heard, or is there room for improvement? Please leave us a review and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.